So in this um, ongoing stream or series, I've been reflecting around the middle way, Majima, which is the, uh, often since the, the epitome of the Buddha's teaching, it avoids extremes, it avoids fixed positions. Yeah, it avoids extremes, it avoids fixed positions, because these are places where clinging occurs. Uh, clinging attachment, the mind holds on to a position and then fights with things that oppose it, resists things that oppose it. Um, and uh, with some uh, deep uh, honesty, you realize that um, life doesn't have a position. <laughs> it just goes on and there's bits we like and bits we don't like occurring, same with other people. So if you're going to start hanging on to a particular angle or position, you're going to be in conflict with others, you know. <laughs> and that's, uh, um, but we tend to do that, uh, you know. We, um, and so we're really encouraging because this mind seeks security. It needs to seek something to feel defined by, something to feel grounded in, something to feel, this is how I orient, this is my orientation, you know. Without some position, how do I know? How do I navigate? You know, you know. I've got to, otherwise, I'm just jelly or steam. You know, I've got no form. And so the Buddhists you do, you have a form already. <laughs> but it's not the form that you recognise. You know. What is this? What am I talking about? Well, we tend to see things in terms of, for example, there's this body is this and there's something around it, you know. This body's like that, your body's like that, they're different, which is good, which is better, which is higher, lower. And saying, well, you're actually looking at things that that form those particular attachments, you know. You know, looking at things that create diversity. We look at things that unify, we say, well, there is body. There is body, there is sentiency, right? There is breathing, there is sensation, there is energy, you know, there is space, you know, and space kind of connects everything rather than separates things. It, 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 it wraps around everything. And when we contemplate like this, we recognize our awareness starts to include everything. What you give your attention to, that becomes the defining characteristic of your mind. So if you're attending to the space, which everything sits within that space, then you operate this thing in accordance with the items around it. Just like if you're in a room full of people, you're aware of the whole room with people in it, and you move around within that in accordance with what's comfortable or respectful or appropriate in terms of all the other items with it. You get this field awareness rather than item awareness. And the result of that is that the mind itself becomes quite light, um, light and, and balanced, because it's not pushing this or resisting that. It's open to all of it and finding out how do all the elements harmonize. Mm. So we take the signature of the, the, um, the middle way, it's called Samma, 
Sama Sati Sama Samadhi Sama Ditti Sama Sankapo Sama. And this is often translated as right. And right in English can mean a number of things, but often it comes off as like a particular um, you know, moral judgment. When we're looking at something that really means something more like that which is fitting and whole, that which is well-tuned or well-adjusted. Interesting enough, the Chinese, when they translated this word, use the quote, and that means something like fitting, it fits. So when they translated the Pali into Chinese, they came up with that word. We got it in English, we call the word right. But it means something of fitting. So one of the examples of this was when the Buddha was talking to uh, one of the monks called Sona. You may know this parable yourself. And Sona was walking barefoot on his meditation path. He was putting so much effort into it, his feet were bleeding from the pounding up and down the path. He was putting a lot of effort into this. We thought it was right effort, right effort, more effort, you know, push forward. And the Buddha said, look, you know, don't you see your feet are bleeding? And it can be like this, you know, when, for the meditators, when they get really intense, they cannot notice that they're either kind of losing weight or they don't know what time of day it is or they fall over things because they're so intensely focused that, that we lose balance. We lose the whole picture. And then we lose receptivity to the elements within that. We're so driven to make it right. It's the directive energy is strong, receptive energy minimal. Yeah, it's all direction and no reception. Yeah. So the bhikkhu sona says, "Well, how do you know what's the right kind of effort?" And the Buddha said, "Well." You know, you used to play a lute, didn't you? You were a lute player. A lute's a kind of simple stringed instrument. They said, yeah. Well, when you played the lute, did you notice if you adjusted the strings too tight, you didn't get the right tune? Yeah. Did you notice that? Yes. You could even snap the strings if you tighten too tight. Right? Now, if you have it too loose, you don't get the tune. So you've got to find that quality which is just right. That's right effort. See, and that gives you a, a simple example of what we mean by the, the, the sign of the middle way is it's balanced because it's not strained forward and it's not slack. We're finding that pitch. How do you find that? Do you have a, a kind of some kind of um, device that can tell you? Do you have to ask other people what they think? Or do you get the sense of, no, my mind feels unrestricted. It doesn't feel cramped. It's open. Yeah. It's light. And the body is also. So the qualities of the balanced state are referred to in terms of body and mind. So one of these is pliable, it means it's flexible, it's not rigid, um, light, buoyant, supple, uh, workable, kamanyuta, it means it has the propensity to be, it's not brittle, rather like metal that you can make it more soft so you can bend it, or clay, you can work it, it's not dry, too dry, it's workable. It's just, when it's workable, pliable, 
light, yeah, uh, and fit for work. You can do things with it. It's not sloppy. So this is these are the qualities, and it's these are described as referring to kaya and referring to chitta. Right? So kaya is our word for form, often referred to as the physical form, and chitta means awareness, heart, things like this. So the point is that if you're practicing meditation, you know the things your mind can do in terms of its opinions and views and energies and resistances. You think, well, let's see, let's go to what the body's doing. Does my body feel light? Does it feel flexible? Where does it feel tight? Uh, where does it feel, how does it feel malleable? Does it feel fit, healthy? And picking up those signs. Uh, and that's why we do a lot of work or a lot of practice in terms of making this meditation practice into a form of moving through the body to the form of the body. And as you practice that, you're going to notice a, a certain uh, um, different perspectives of what we even mean by body. Mm. Yeah. So the first obvious one is this physical condition, what we call the physical form. So we see with our eyes, well, that's really not very relevant. That's not going to give you much guidance on your mind. Um, but when you feel the sensations in your body, that's a little closer because then you can sense whether you're all there or not. Like if you can't feel any sensations in your feet or your hands, something's not complete yet. Yeah, yeah. So you begin to sweep around until you've got a whole sensation body. Yeah. And how is that balanced? Or is it one side is really heavy, one side feels tight, or it's not straight? And you work on that. How do you work on that? You work on that by basing the body on the sense of ground. Everything, and then how do you come into balance? And as you're sitting there like that, letting the breathing fill up the physical form. Now, obviously it won't fill up what we see with our eyes, but all the sensations will begin to, if you sustain awareness of that, the very sensations will begin to sense that energy of breathing. And this you're encouraging the receptive faculty rather than the directive faculty. It's not something you do so much as you're encouraging and being receptive to. And the body begins to notice this internal body, which is breathing. And it's actually very comforting because... It's intimate and it's yours and it moves through you and it begins to encourage the nervous energy in the physical form to start to change. And, you know, the nervous energy in the physical form starts to change. And that means you begin to sense your physicality slightly differently. Mm -hmm more complete, 
more simple. And as this becomes apparent for you, you can feel the energy of your physical body starts to become almost like, not exactly a separate entity, but like an inner body that can expand and suffuse, expand through the tissues. And the Buddha talks about this when he's talking about entering uh, samadhi. And he's saying when you're entering samadhi, it's rather like you have a sponge and you can saturate the sponge with soapy water, just like a dry sponge. And then you mix this soap powder with it so it's frothy and then that saturates. So he says, just this is the way that the qualities of ease and steadiness that become established along with your breathing begin to saturate every pore of your physical form and it begins to expand. And you have a more expanded sense, which I'll call the energy body. And your physical form is alive. It's a very simple thing. <laughs> yeah. a physical form is alive. It's not just a photograph. <laughs> and you're thinking, you know, yeah, is that obvious? Yeah. But do you feel it? Or do you feel yourself to just be a photograph moving around with other people looking at it? What does it mean to be alive? It means it's kind of got vibrant energy in it. It's flexible. It's buoyant. It's also very responsive. I mean, it picks up suggestions of fear or joy. And as it begins to open, expand and come into something more relaxed, it, it picks up a sense of joy. Hey, this is not heavy. This is not forceful. Uh, this is not something I've got to figure out. This is a gift. Why don't I just enjoy it? Uh, and this is extremely helpful uh, because it then affects your mental body. Okay, I'm talking about bodies a lot, but when I mean the mental body, I mean that basically your overall perspective, your life message, I am this person, I do all these kinds of things, I should and I shouldn't, I am and I'm not, I wish I was, and I have been, and I'm not now, this becomes your mental body that, you know, you can drop into at any given moment. You sit down somewhere quiet on your own, and bonk, you go into your mental body. <laughs> it's like wherever you go, you, you get in that same bathtub, <laughs> right? The same bathtub, the same water in it, maybe a few different soap suds, but there it is. Here's me again. We very much identify with our mental body, you know. Now, body just means something you feel yourself living within, right? So let's just use that word very poetically, you might say. Perhaps you're rather accurate, because that mental body is, feels pretty much like, it's sometimes stronger than your physical body. It's more apparent in your physical form. And within that, you have all the old karmic, habits and patterns and <laughs> that generate the sense of a self, right? That's me in here. That's my mind. Those are my thoughts. It's talking about me. It's all my history. Yeah, it's all my hopes and wishes and all my dark stuff and my hopeful stuff. That's me. That's my, that's, no, that's not you. That's your mental body. <laughs> yeah. Or it's a mental body. 
And this mental body is also shared. It means it's very porous to the mental forms and bodies of others. So we pick up other people's opinions. It's not really ours at all. Yeah, most of what you're thinking isn't you. It's been it's something you've read or learned or been told, right? You didn't create your language, did you? <laughs> right? You didn't create French or German or Italian or English. They happened to you and you picked them up. That's not your language. Yeah. The attitudes that you learn them. You know, the social gestures, the things we feel ashamed of or feel we should become, they've been acquired. You should be one of these. You've, you've learned that. The way to happiness is through material success and put a lot of energy into becoming something. You've learned that. When you were two, you didn't have that. Right? When you were three and just playing around in the water, you didn't have a sense of you've got to make something important happen today. When you were four, perhaps, you didn't have the thought that you've got to work hard to get ahead. Perhaps that happened about the age of five or six. <laughs> you picked it up, everybody's saying it, and it becomes part of your mental body. And you, you, and you think you are it. And you follow it. And where does it take you? Is there a way out of it? Now, when we find that the beauty of it is all that mental body is, is based upon certain tensions or, or graspings or attachments to this, to that, to this message, this message of you're good, I really get hold of that. You're bad, I get hold of that. You're right, I get hold of that. You're a complete failure, I get hold of that message, right? It's a, it's a grasping, that creates tension. What do other people think of me? Tension. Yeah. Am I, what will I be when I'm 60 years old? Tension. Yeah. What will I become in the next life? More grasping. And all that is energetic tension. Yeah. So, and we share it. And, and, yeah. Because it's not self. It's, it's, in, it's in the field of mind, of human minds. Yeah. So we think, okay, so what you're doing or encouraging is that's the mental body. Now, if you begin to use your awareness, can cover all these bodies. Your awareness can cover your mental body and your physical body. You can be aware of that. You can be aware of your mental body. That is, you can be aware of thoughts, good thoughts, bad thoughts, happy emotions, terrible emotions. You can be aware of those. Your awareness covers all of it. And it also, very significantly, covers your energy body. And this is sometimes the piece that people miss out on. They're aware of physicality, and that's completely separate from the mental body. You know, bone is not the same as a thought, obviously. But in terms of the energy, you know, there are no bones. There's firmness, there's softness, there's vibrancy. Yeah, and and as that that affects the the qualities that I that the mind attends to affect it. So, if supple gentleness in the body is sensed, felt, yeah, then that 
quality of supple gentleness begins to suffuse the mental body. Right? On an energetic level, these are not separate. So, for example, you can't get angry if you're in a relaxed, comfortable state. It just doesn't work. You've got to get tight to get angry, right? So, you know, the energy of the mind and the body really operate together. Yeah. And you start to notice when you're in a particular mind state, what is the bodily feeling of that? Is your body feeling like, oh, I've got to get through the day, another job I've got to do? Yeah. Is it like that? Is it like panicking so much, so many things like that? Just try to feel what's happening in your body. Don't go into what the mind is thinking, go into what the body's doing and begin to bring your awareness through that body into the energy field expand, steady, attend to the energy comfortably and as your body begins to find its proper balanced state, the mental body also finds that balanced state. Then, you know, just to round out the picture, the quality that links it all up, yeah, that connects all these different forms, you might say. Another very simple word, actually, is called heart. You might call it love, you might call it compassion, you might call it um, openness, tolerance. It's heart. So this quality says, okay, this feels really difficult. Let's not make an issue out of that. Let's not fight with that. Instead, we'll accept that and expand awareness over it. Rather than, I'll try to push that out. Now, I notice that I'll expand my awareness over that until I've come from being in a contracted state into being a balanced state. I've come from one extreme position into the balance of the middle, the middle way. It feels like things are light, things are a slight floating sense. Yeah. So this is tuning in to the harmony of the middle way. And you can't grasp it. Once you grasp it, it like tips over. It's like holding, you know, holding something balanced on your hand, and if you grasp it, it falls over. But you retain the balance. And getting familiar with that, and familiar with what throws us out of balance. You know, these messages, these ideas that throw us, these drives that throw us out of balance. And some of them are uh, good. <laughs> I really want to make everything good for everyone. Mm, yeah, I understand the feeling. Mm. Is that possible? <laughs> so then we come into the sense of 
as you find, perhaps begin to find that, that balanced place in meditation and you feel it, then what arises as you settle in with heart? What advice if you feel comfortable with yourself? What arises? Does anything arise? You'd quite like to enjoy that uh, for a while. Feel mm. settled. No pressure. Enjoying it. Heart begins to feel very quite glad. I'd like to share this. I'd like to do something. I'd like to bring this out. I'd like to turn it to help other people with it. I'd like to help out. And of course, the Buddha himself had the same disposition. You know, Anukampa. It's called selfless sympathy. Anukampa. It means that there's a certain receptivity. Uh, to this to the situation we're in the situation of incarnation the situation of coming into this sense of separate bodies separate forms there's a recognition of the the constrictions and the narrowness of that and that everyone in that is bound by it constricted by it and is bound to pain separation from the loved loneliness uh, decline, degeneration, death. And, uh, you know, so mm, that's sobering, isn't it? Mm. This beautiful gift, this beautiful quality that we can begin to touch into is somehow constricted uh, and uh, and people are suffering because of that. So what arises is something like a sense of resonant, as the Buddha did. How can you, can you bring this forth? Can you bring this forth? Can you help, you could say? Anukampa. So when, as you notice, whenever a Dhamma talk is requested, this uh, formal recitation is a, is a reiteration of a phrase that the great deity Brahma Sahampati uttered when he first requested the Buddha to teach. And he says there are beings with a little dust in their eyes and out of Anukampi Mang Pajang, out of Anukampa, out of selfless sympathy, please teach the law. And so the Buddha got that. And, you know, you're trying to figure out what's what Brahma. I don't see any Brahma Sampatis around. <laughs> I don't see any super gods. Well, that's just the way they express it, you know. Uh, we seem to be a little bit uh, limited in that. But you might say, where does the moment of compassion? Where does that come from? Yeah, where does the moment of compassion arise from? Where does that moment of seeing, broadly seeing, come from? Selflessly seeing, where does that come from? Mm. Okay. Mm. So in Buddhism they call that Brahma Sahampati, <laughs> the knower of the worlds, the seer of it all, 
wow, this is this is what's going on. And we call it big heart, great heart. And it turns to the Buddha, you know, give direction. And as we notice in this uh, um, narrative, legend, who knows, but certainly it's a, it's a profound image, the Buddha, okay, I can do that. And he doesn't quite know what to do. He said, I don't know what to do. So he starts walking. And I'll go and so I'll look around and see people who seem a little bit open to this because I don't think people are going to get this. People are so into passion, which is strong, holding on, status, territory, sensuality, gains, progress, fighting. This is what I see. Holding on, you know. Is there anybody who's a little bit open? He <laughs> says, oh yeah. My teachers, oh, they've died. Oh, those five, five colleagues of mine. You know, we had some difficulties, but basically they were spiritual seekers. I'll go and seek them. I'll find them. They're a little bit open. So you look for the opening. And he starts walking. I don't think he knew what to say. Because the first person he meets was a wanderer. Just kind of wandering along. The wanderer says, oh, you know, you're looking pretty bright and radiant. What are you doing? He says, the Buddha says, well, I am. I am the enlightened one, you know, I have realised the ending of suffering. Or some, basically some statement of what he's about, where his mind is at, this extended, uncontracted awareness. And the ascetic Upaka says, well, good for you, that sounds interesting, bye now. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so that didn't work. <laughs> so he starts walking along and uh, uh, he eventually gets to the deer park where his friends are, his old colleagues, and they say, oh, it comes Gautama, the guy who walked out on us, you know, the failed recluse, you know, the, the, the slacker who wasn't really into hard striving and mortification like we are. You know, the one who wasn't, you, you know, we had this fixed position on striving and so forth, and he, he'd lost it. So the Buddha comes in, and we won't bother even look at him. And he walks in, and he just kind of like, well, what's that? Who's that? Wow, he's can't. You know, trying to not see him. I could imagine like, ah, oh, Buddha, so who's in it? There's something different about it now. <laughs> you know, because he was in that state. It speaks for itself. And they go, ah, oh. and they find themselves. Oh, let's make a seat. Let's invite him to sit down. Let's put some water out for his feet. They didn't even, you know, and he says, have, I, have you ever seen me like this before? And he said, no. He said, the deathless has been found. And went, oh, really? Have you ever seen me like this before? And he said, no. This is new. Where you're at is new. We don't know this. He says, I can teach you. For those who listen deeply for those who open their faith hmm? the doors of the deathless are open for those who can open their faith he says now I can teach you what does he teach him he says these are the extreme positions that you know 
already. You know, you know, sensuality, attachment to that doesn't get you anywhere. It actually starts with mortification. It doesn't get you anywhere. You know, like obviously in, in a in a discourse this is very cryptic. You can imagine him saying, How many years you've been doing this? How many years you've been bashing yourself? How many years you've been starving yourself? How many years you've been forcing yourself? Where did it get you? You're still exactly the same place as you were ten years ago. <laughs> and I've changed, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Because I've dropped that extreme. Yeah. And I haven't veered to the other extreme. I found the middle. Majima Padipada Tathagatena. It's been discovered by the Tathagata. He doesn't refer to himself. He's talking about a quality of that which has come, the gift. Right? Tathagata. It means that which has arrived. The thusness that's arrived. This is presented from that place of the thus come ones. This is not me as a Gautama, this is where it's coming from, that place of unrestricted awareness. Yeah. And so they they yeah, they kind of listen up because when it comes from that place and you're open, you know it, you know this is different, and your faith listens up. Yeah. The faith, it's not belief, it's that openness. And then you pick that up, and he's saying, This is the tune, Samma. Samma ditti, samma sanka, balanced, wholesome. What is samma ditti? It's not a fixed opinion. It means there's an acknowledgement, a perspective on right, wrong, good, bad. Yeah, perspective on it. Yeah, there's perspective on it, and there's the ability to adjust within that. There's a sense of the wholeness. There is mother. There is father. Yeah. There is a world, there is this world, there's other worlds. We're in something, we're in a shared cosmos of meanings and energies that we're in. You know, get out of being yourself all the time. Put down the idea of you're some internal object. You're, you are folded into an entire interrelated cosmos. This is the law. Mutuality, generosity, mutual respect. Morality, this is the law of the Dhamma. You know, is it that difficult? And it's easy to understand, and you realize it begins to challenge the, your contractedness. Your contractedness, which we put so much energy into becoming more contracted, more hard, more focused, more myself, more distinct, more of an individual, more better more better than I was, more, 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 more of that. You know, and this is particularly the sign of our culture, which is a very directive, yang-driven culture, very limited on receptive wholeness. So you see, this then is where you find the balance. Receptivity, emphasising that there's an energy in it. It's not just being passive, it's, it's a deep receptive, being able to pick up the theme and then let that theme inform how you speak, who you speak to, how you make it, how you moderate it, because this is how you learn. 
where there's an opening, you move into that. Carrying that quality, those who can pick it up will hear it. For the Buddha, it wasn't everybody. Some people he could sense immediately, no point. Some people he would argue with, they didn't get it. Some people he would talk with and eventually they'd open up to it. But he realised the, the soberness of the Buddha is that sense in which you realise you can only go so far as the openness allows you. That's the moderation of the middle way. You know, directs our effort. So, um, perhaps some things to consider, think about there. Yeah. It's good to do some work because then, you know, whatever you're working with, your sense if you're working, like I sometimes had a chance to do some work with some clay a few months ago. And it's a very beautiful practice working with clay, making pots, because if you push too hard, the clay breaks up. If you don't hold it firm enough, the clay falls apart. <laughs> if, you, if you don't hold it steady enough, the clay doesn't form. You've got to hold it steady, light, and you know, support it. And it's a very good way, things like this, of, of actually working with things, bringing the quality of the middle way into very simple, humble, everyday practices of how you do things in that moderated way listening to what you're doing, listening to your energies and tuning in to who or whatever you're working with. That's why it is something you can cultivate, you know, in everything you do. And that's the beauty of it. Everything you do will mean that your doing energy has to learn to listen, be receptive and respond in appropriate conditions. Mm. Stay light. Stay balanced, stay fit. So offer that for your reflection today. Take good care. Thank you.